Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Okay, I've got two options, so if Lucas takes one of them, I'm good to go for the other. Okay. I'm de- definitely going to take them. <laughs> we're we're going to take both. Lucas and I are actually going to go first, and then <laughs> we're going to take <laughs> both of those options. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome back to Feeling It, everyone. This week, we all went on a very romantic date with the Obamas, and we saw Southside with you, so we'll be discussing that later in the episode. Before that, we will each say what's one thing we're, very, we're feeling this week, and before that, we're going to introduce ourselves. So Lawson, why don't you kick us off? And when you do, um, why don't you give us an idea of what's a great movie to see on a first date? Sure. So I am Lawson Soward. I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee. And I think a great first date movie is Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. So charming. Yeah. Yep. Everyone's going to have a good time. I'm Lucas Wright. I'm a designer from the Bay Area, um, and I think my favorite date movie would be Almost Famous. It's nice and chill, um, and yet provokes a lot of really good discussion. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my all-time favorite. Both of y'all picked movies that are truly like in my top of all time. Um, we did it, <laughs> right? <laughs> you both win. Um, I'm yeah. Sandra. <laughs> I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and I once went on a date and we saw like a a zombie rom com. Um, called Warm Bodies, and that was a great movie Mm. to see on a date because it was just funny, romantic, lighthearted, just like a guaranteed good time. Um, So that one I would recommend, uh, or something like it. And our friend Brent is not here with with us this week, but we'll miss him dearly. And let's jump right into what we're feeling this week. Lawson, what are you feeling this week? All right. What I am feeling this week... uh, has a little bit to do with uh, the VMAs. Did you guys watch those? I did. Lawson and I watched them together. Yeah, so... I did not. Lucas, come on, man. No, I'm kidding. You're probably out Sorry, doing Sorry, I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, during that, Kanye was uh, kind of given free reign to talk for like four minutes and then introduced uh, his new music video for the song Fade which is the first music video I felt like I could summarize in three emojis, just using, like, the dancing woman, the strong arm flexing, and the cat with hard eyes. Um, but moving past that, I was just like, oh, yeah, I haven't listened to Kanye in a while. Like, I've been listening to Chance the Rapper. I've been listening to a lot of um, different... I've been listening to a lot of Bon Iver. So um, Life of Pablo is something I've really left behind. Um so the thing that I'm feeling this week that I want to talk talk about is uh, this track called Saint Pablo. So jumping back a little bit, when the Life of Pablo was first released, uh, I went back in Kanye's Twitter, searching through his you know photos because he took all those pictures of those different uh, track lists that he had out, and I went to the last one that he had when the album was called Waves, and I turned that into a uh, playlist, and. That playlist is like closer in length to Lemonade, um, and rather of being rather than being one of Kanye's worst albums and like most rushed and haphazard albums, it's actually one of his best. Like that, I feel like that length is such a uh, a good concise album length to like say something in particular. Like I Lemonade and that Wave soundtrack both feel a little short to be albums, but feel very. Um, effective as an album and uh, cohesive as an album like using I I really didn't listen to Life of Pablo I would just listen to the Waves playlist over and over and it really cemented to me the importance of a track order and the flow of an album as a complete artistic vision Um, I haven't really listened to the Life of Pablo since then until 
I saw on my Spotify feed that someone was listening to this song I had never heard before called Saint Pablo, and it had the Life of Pablo album art next to it, and I was thoroughly confused. Um, and I found out that it was an extra song that Kanye had added onto the Life of Pablo with this evolving thing. He's he's messed with mixes, revised lyrics, and split up songs into multiple tracks. But apparently, this is the first time he's added a whole new song. Um, I guess it happened back in June, but I had no idea, so I wanted to make sure that I told everyone listening to this podcast so that they could know too. Um, I felt very out of the loop and wanted to make sure that you guys listening at home are not out of the loop, um, because this is really the missing key, in my opinion, to the life of Pablo as an album. All of the efforts Kanye has done refining this album and adding to it, I feel like have kind of finally paid off with this track. It encompasses so many of the themes of the album and ties them together to make an entirely new point uh, in a way that an album this disjointed really, really needed. Um, yeah, like the life of Pablo, I felt like just kind of ended before, uh, and now it ends in a way that makes sense. I think if Waves was the album that Kanye was trying to make, he had it ready to go and kind of flubbed it. But if The Life of Pablo was what he wanted to make, he should have waited until now because this album, as it feels now, is like a worthy addition to his incredible discography. So um, after all that, I want to play a short clip of it and encourage you um, listening at home to listen to the whole track. It's like a six-minute song, but it doesn't flow like it's super long. So here's the hook from that song. I wasn't supposed to make it past 25. Yeah, you're looking at the church in the night sky. Wondering where a girl's gonna say hi. Oh, you're looking at the church in the night sky. And you wondering where's God in your nightlife. Yeah, you're looking at the church in the night sky. Wondering where a girl's gonna say hi. So yeah, the waves, whenever it ended, it was like this really nice, um, very cohesive from song to song playlist, and then it ended with Ultra Light Beam, which is like this very spiritual kind of like cry for, um, cry out to God, and uh, it made for a really effective ending, and then when Life of Pablo ended, it was just kind of like, and there were these tracks left over, so I put those on there, and then once those are done, the album's over. Um, This song really feels like it has, um, for The Life of Pablo, which starts with Ultralight Beam, this song makes it feel like an effective bookend to that song on the end of what is now a 20-track album. So, yeah, I would say go check it out. Did you guys know, my question following this is, did you guys know about this and not tell me? Uh, definitely nope. not because I haven't listened to Life of Pablo, so okay. I haven't really paid any <laughs> attention to it. Um, I did want to say something though, Lawson. In all of that, you kind of said that Saint Pablo sort of is the key that unlocks the Life of Pablo, and I couldn't help but imagine like a national treasure esque adventure in which someone <laughs> uses the lyrics from Saint Pablo to like access the Kardashian West fortune. Like there's like the car like like thirty years from now the Kardashians have like hidden all their treasures underground and like someone is using the lyrics in Saint Pablo to access all of that. The lyrics are a cipher. Like okay he wasn't supposed yeah. to take it past twenty five so none of the numbers on this combination are above twenty five. Right. Something uh. like that. Oh that's gonna be my dream movie. Guys, okay, the more I think about it, this is a winning movie idea. The Karda- <laughs> A national treasure movie about the Kardashians is gold, and we should all start writing the script. It's already copyrighted. Done. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Go west, young man. That's well, Lawson, oh. thank you for giving us that inside scoop. Um, yeah, and an inspiration for a great movie idea. Uh, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? <laughs> Uh, this week I'm feeling the movie St. Vincent. Um, it is a Bill Murray movie that uh, came out in 2014, but just made it to Netflix, I think, this month, last month, something like that. Um, so I finally got around to watching it. But it's it's the story of this kid who, whose parents just got divorced, and he moves across, he moves across town, new school, new house, um, and his neighbor is a grumpy old Bill Murray. 
it's it's basically this kid dealing with the divorce of his parents, um, Bill Murray dealing with some issues, and having to hang out with this kid since uh, the kid's mom, Melissa McCarthy, um, is working all the time, so he kind of volunteers to, to babysit. But he's at peak Bill Murray, as <laughs> um, <laughs> as he always is. But this is this is this movie is so much fun. Um, watching just Bill Murray be kind of a, a douchebag to this kid the whole time. Um, the kid's fantastic as well. It's, it's uh, his name is Jaden Jaden Lieberher. Um, he was in Midnight Special, but uh, he didn't get to do much in that movie. Um, but this, he he does a fantastic job, and I'm really excited to see him in some more stuff. But yeah, this this movie is just fantastic. It's so nice, so sweet. Um, it's a little on the nose in in most parts, but I'm 100% okay with that when it's Bill Murray just handling that all the time. So yeah. You get Melissa McCarthy in a straight role, which is fun. She's just um, she's just a, a sad mom the entire time. Oh. Um, you get you get Naomi Watts as a Russian stripper. Um, so all all good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've always been meaning to see this movie. I remember when it was out in theaters, people thinking that it was having it would have some Oscar potential for Bill Murray, Um, Mm -hmm. and and then that never really came to pass. Uh, But it always got me interested in it. For Golden Globe. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, he got nominated for Golden Globe, but that that was as far as it went. No, it sounds. um, When you were saying peak Bill Murray, did you guys uh, see the Very Murray Christmas special? Yes. I yeah. do not. I'll take it back. That, that, that's Pete Bilmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's nothing really to this special except Bill Murray. Everything else about it, like, the only context for this thing is Bill Murray. But St. Vincent looked really good in theaters. I even liked the poster. Like, everything about the way that I've seen this movie out in the consciousness makes me really want to see it. So having your endorsement, Lucas, only strengthens that desire. Thank you. I love it when yeah, you do that no for me, Lucas. When like there's a movie I've been always wanting to see, and Lucas comes on the pod and is like, "You remember that movie you keep wanting to see? I saw it. Trust me, it's good." And then I go see it, <laughs> exactly. like within the That's month. The <laughs> That's true. Um, thank you for that, Lucas. This week I am feeling a YouTube series called Just Between Us. Um, it is a YouTube series by these two comedians, Gabby Dunn and Allison Raskin, who I'm big fans of. Their self-described series is Bad Advice Every Monday, Dumb Sketches Every Thursday. So each week they put out an advice video where they answer a question half full-heartedly, half comedically. So uh, it's never, sometimes it's obviously good advice and sometimes it's obviously they're just going for the joke, which I think is a really fun balance. And then every week they also usually put out a sketch, usually about their relationship or their living situation or their dating dynamics. Um, they have a real, again, self-described, um, very modern female odd couple vibe. Allison Raskin is uptight. She's responsible. She has OCD. She All she ever wants to do is get married and be in a solid monogamous relationship. Um, Gabby Dunn, her best friend and comedy partner, is the exact opposite. She is polyamorous. She's irresponsible. She is known for being kind of a wild child. She's bisexual. She loves um, screaming about the patriarchy. And their relationship has just been really glorious to watch develop over the course of these past few years that I've been following them on YouTube. Their videos, I'm so in love with them that, you know how YouTube will like autoplay videos? If I start watching a Just Between Us video, it will just autoplay those videos until I have to leave my computer. (laughs) I will just like let them go through, even the ones that I've already watched. I feel like I've watched all of them multiple times. Um, Did either of y'all get a chance to check out any of these videos? Yes. Go for it. Oh, no, you go ahead, man. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. No, it's my pleasure. That's the easiest way to get in a fight at Chick-fil-A. Um, yeah, I really, really liked their dynamic. Um, they just seem like 
people I would really enjoy being friends with. Like, definitely strong character traits, but I loved everything they were saying. The one that I saw was, um, oh, I'm trying to remember. They were talking about, uh, do guys like funny girls? And it was, the way they responded was really funny. You could tell that they were, like, just hanging out as friends. It wasn't performance. It didn't feel like a performance at all. It felt like they were just talking and, like, saying what was in their hearts um, and, like, bantering with each other like they do where they're not the cameras on. And uh, I thought their answers were great. They were very, like, you know, it was the two sides of screw guys. If you shouldn't care what they think, if you want to be funny, just be funny. And then the counterbalance of if you, you know, no, you should care about what your partner thinks if you're going to be in a relationship with them, but don't be in a relationship with somebody who thinks that being funny is a bad thing. So it was just like, I, I liked, I didn't um, notice as immediately um, that dynamic you pointed out where one of them is a little bit more like uh, more traditional and the other one's a little bit more off the wall, modern, whatever. Um, but it plays out really well, I think. Yeah, I think it comes out more in their sketches than in their advice. Um, but I, 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 I think it's really cute. I think it's fun and genuine, and it's it's really cool to see see a lot of these issues tackled in this way because I think a lot of the things that they talk about aren't things that a lot of people end up talking about. Um, and so it's fun. Uh, yeah, I, I think they do a fantastic job, and I, I like both of them a lot. So. Yeah, I really like that. They really do feel like two... I mean, they are two best friends. And I love... Two best friends. <laughs> like, I getting a sneak them. peek into, like, what female best friends talk about on a regular basis. I feel like they give you that sneak peek into it. Uh, like, they're talking a lot about relationships and sex and um, just, like, you know, living as a 20-something and... Um, another fun dynamic that they have is that Gabby, the bisexual one, when she first met Allison, she had like a big crush on her and thought like, oh, this girl is really into me. Like we're really hitting it off and then found out that Allison was straight. And so like a recurring like joke throughout all these videos is that Gabby like might be in love with Allison or Gabby like <laughs> wants to hook up with Allison. And, um, and that like, it's really fun to see itself played out in like small different ways throughout the course of all the videos. Uh, I, there, like I said, they've been doing this for two years. So there's a ton of videos on their channel. I put together a playlist of just some of my favorites so that if any of y'all are interested and want to get started watching these videos, um, you can just jump into their channel or you can use the playlist that I made as a kind of a starter kit. Nice. Yeah. That was very generous of you. People don't even have to fish and hope. They can just be like, Sandra likes these and knows what's up. Really want people to like the things that I like, so I put in the effort. <laughs> Remove That's all the, the barriers. Story to entry. of my life. That's why I do this podcast. So this week we went and saw Southside with You. I'm going to be honest, I was probably the driving force for why we saw Southside with You. Do y'all think that that's fairly yeah. accurate? <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I've been really interested in this movie and I think we kind of talked about it a few months ago on the podcast. Is that right? I feel like I feel like on one episode. Yeah, I think we it brought came up it up. in passing and Brent was like not even aware that it was happening, which I was confused by because he's the one that lives in Chicago. <laughs> I, I know, it would be everywhere. right? Um, but yeah, I've been really excited for this to come out. I'm a big fan of the Obamas. I'm a big fan of Richard Linklater. And I feel like this movie is very Richard Linklater before Sunrise-esque. Uh, so first impressions, what did y'all think of Southside with you? I mean, I loved it. I really, really liked it. Um, I enjoyed this movie all the way through. Uh, it was, I loved how unremarkable it was. I love how little happened. I love all of the things that make this movie a very rare movie nowadays. I think you're right. I think it's very Linklater-esque. I just, 
I'm all for movies of first dates and movies that just follow people having conversations, getting to know each other. Um, I will say a little bit of, um, even though I think the actors were very well cast, like they did a good job of kind of embodying the characters that they were after, um, there were times where it felt like they were like leaning into an impersonation a little bit or like affecting the voice. I, I just, the acting and um, the way that lines were delivered felt a little jilted, a little scripted sometimes to me, but I didn't care. <laughs> like overall, the movie was still so charming and I was so into it the whole time. Um, it was a really, really enjoyable movie. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be one that I watch again. I think this will be definitely be something that will be on Netflix or HBO Go or something. And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it again. I think it's a very nice, like, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's the opposite of a blockbuster. And not that I'm wanting to hate on blockbusters, but all the things that I miss when all I'm seeing are blockbusters are in this film. It was just, it was delightful. Sure. Lucas, what about you? Meh. Just in general for the whole movie? <laughs> yeah, just in general. I feel like, I feel like with a movie like this, um, you have to have a solid story because that's all you've got. You've just got these two people talking and you have to have a solid story to build on and you have to have actors that can deliver that. And I don't feel like the actors held up, but I think a lot of that also had to do with the script. I think it's a, it's, it's a hard script to work with. And I think a lot of that comes from having to, you know, recreate an actual event. Um, I feel like in real life, people walking around talking is not that exciting. Um, and so if you're going to do a movie like that, it has to be fake in it and you have to kind of craft it um, in a way that works best for the story as opposed to trying to track actual events that happened on this date. Lucas, I'll definitely agree with you on some of the issues that the script has. I, I really liked this movie. I thought it was slow and romantic and kind of a, like you said, Lawson, a breath of fresh air from everything else we've been seeing this summer. Uh, I really enjoyed both of the actors' performances, but especially um, Parker Parker Sawyer, Parker Sawyer's who played Barack Obama. I thought he was fantastic in this. Um, I do think that this movie, yeah, some of the dialogue is a little stilted. Um, I love the premise of it, like the script in that. The structure of the script, I love. I love the activities that they do throughout the day and the pacing of it. Um, but some yeah. of the conversations left me a little wanting. Um, and I feel like any movie with a sequence where they go to an art museum and the camera will just rest on the artwork for a minute, I was just like, yes, thank you. Yeah, this there was like, so much When's the I last love? time I've seen this? about the direction of this movie. I loved how atmospheric it was. I love, I really loved how slow it was. Um, and the, like I said, if, if I could fix anything or if I could not fix, cause I wouldn't be able to fix it, but if I could, <laughs> um, change anything, it would be, it would be a little bit of the dialogue, but that's not to say that all of the dialogue is bad or that the script is horrible. I think, Certain conversations feel a little stilted, but others feel very charming and very, like, enlightened or inspiring. Um, I think it just ebbs and flows. And I was willing to deal with a few conversations that didn't feel completely natural for all of the wonderful small moments we got in this movie. Um, those were really charming to me. And again, like, really meant a lot to see in the summer. Like, I feel like seeing this in a theater during summer movie season, even though I guess it is September, um, I guess on the heels of summer movie season, really impacted how much I enjoyed this versus if I had just maybe put it on um, on a regular night. Although maybe I would like it on a regular night because it is the kind of movie that would feel good to, like, cuddle up on a couch with. So, I don't know. I, I did leave this movie with a really great feeling and I had a wonderful time with it. I think that had a lot to do with that John Legend song. Yeah. I, it, say, <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you too, Lucas. I think that the, the screenwriters in this, uh, had an idea that I was really interested in, but 
think they felt a little too much. I think they felt too much obligation to try to get like key points from what it means to be an Obama, like into the script where it was just like, this is the part where he needs to talk about his dad. And this is the part where she needs to talk about what it means to be in public service. And this is the part where they need to like, and so it was that part, that element of it. I felt like I, you could, you could tell that this wasn't, it was an independent feature and that meant that there were a lot of things that I really liked about it, but you could also tell that this was an independent feature in like the lack of number of rewrites and edits and all this kind of thing that went through. <laughs> um, because I think you're right. I think these actors did a very good job with um, uh, what they were given. There are certain parts where I was like, eh, they could have done that better. But overall, I think the actors did a, a great job, but it's it's a hard, a hard um, script to make sound natural. And some of that, you know, you you don't know what to to interpret one way or the other because there is a little bit of unease and unnaturalness to a first date. Absolutely. Like, there's a little bit of like awkward silences, and you know, maybe you're saying something and the other person interprets it a wrong way, or like makes a little bit of a non sequitur afterwards or something. So some of that can feel pretty true to life, but just going to um, a movie where it's like obvious that it's not a documentary so you have the license to make it flow a little better i think i just i expected it to to flow better as a as a script um as i said i still really liked it but i lucas i wanted you to know that i i think i saw a lot of the same stuff that you were talking about one aspect i i read in an interview someone i think the director pointed this out that didn't really come to my mind until i heard him say this in the interview but i but i do agree with is that a fun thing that this movie does is, you know, it really gets a few things very right about what it's like to be on a first date with someone. And one of those things is how you're constantly kind of dropping clues about yourself without having to outright say things about yourself. So, for instance, in one scene, Michelle you know, says a line of French to kind of like give, let him know like, hey, I speak French without having to just say that outright. And he'll drop a piece of information about living in Indonesia. Um, All these little things about revealing yourself to someone, hoping that they'll ask questions. And because Mm. these two people are incredibly interested in each other, they do ask the questions. And then we get to hear more of the stories behind those little character traits. Uh, And so that was something that I really... I really appreciated that like, yeah, this is what a good first date looks like. It's people slowly exposing who they are to the other person and the other person being invested enough to ask the right questions. Um, And I, yeah, I really appreciated that. There was one part in particular that I wanted to touch on. um, If you guys don't mind going into one scene, Uh, I'd love to touch on scenes that you guys were particularly affected by one way or the other, either good or bad. But um, the scene that really was affecting to me was uh, the scene where uh, Obama gives the speech at the community organizing, like in the church meeting, Um, when there were certain parts, again, of that speech that felt a little bit like, oh, man, you needed a different speechwriter. Like that if you turn no backwards, you can turn it on to on and then carry on and like in that there's this core of, you know, yes, we can. There's this core of, like, trying to get to that. And maybe they're trying to show that, you know, his uh, inspirational quips get better over time, and this is back in the day. Yeah, I liked that because it was, like, he's a 20-something, like, still-in-law school kind of guy. Like, I like the cheesiness of, like, he's not a, a polished politician yet. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's very possible that I was just bringing my notion of him now, like, after giving his kind of farewell address at the 2016 Democratic Convention, Mm. like, which is a kind of a culmination of all these speeches he's given over the past however many years. Like, now we're going back to when he was in his 20s, and he was like, you know, you know what? If you turn no backwards, it's a a different word. (laughs) Um, But overall, like, that notwithstanding, I felt like that was 
one of the more hopeful speeches about compromise that I've ever heard. Like, I just, it's one of the things in general that I think um, Obama's really uh, good at and I think will be remembered for um, despite, you know, uh, whatever political divisions or preferences um, emerge in history. Uh, I think he is... I think I heard this on the podcast that you uh, recommended keeping it at 1600, um, or it may have been on the Imperial Politics podcast, but it's he, Obama as a politician has, um, gives speeches um, that he wants, he thinks that giving speeches can change the world. Um, and he's one of the few people who uh, is able to deliver speeches in ways that you can look back afterwards and think like, oh, wow, that really maybe that did change the world. And so like the fact that he's such a good orator um, and that they touched on that so well here and just kind of gave this inspiring, like, you know, there's this huge populist movement right now in our politics. And you hear so much about like, you know, it's not the time to compromise and compromise is weakness and all this stuff. And just kind of this like, no, you know, democracy is slow moving and it's frustrating, but, but there's this beauty to, maybe not beauty, but just uh, necessity to find where your self-interest lines up with somebody else's and uh, move forward as best we can. So I I really liked that speech and um, it felt, I don't know, the, the rest of the movie was still really good and I liked kind of the slow romance of it, but that was a really cool kind of um, item to be in there amongst everything. What did you guys think about that speech? I just talked way too long about it. <laughs> I thought it was okay. I mean, I th- like. I feel. I feel like one. That's a weird thing to bring somebody on a date to, and I just felt so uncomfortable when he kind of like left her with those ladies and like went and like talked to everybody <laughs> just 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 because like as an introvert, I would be so pissed off if somebody did that to me. Oh yeah, <laughs> left me with these strangers and was just like, yeah, yeah, hang out with them for like a minute. Um, but like I. I feel like it's a very important part of the movie to show, um, to show that kind of leadership and show that kind of interaction, um, and it might it it also might be one of my one of my favorite parts of this movie. Um, but again, I feel like the the speech was uh, was poorly written. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel I feel like overall of the two actors, he he did a better job of just kind of going with the flow and like making it feel more natural where I feel like I agree it was more of a um, impersonation yeah his he wasn't like doing an, it didn't seem like he was doing a voice and maybe she wasn't either but it seemed more like she was yeah. but yeah overall overall out of the parts of this movie the uh, the community meeting I think might be might be my favorite part actually I back that up the art gallery is my favorite part the community meeting so. yeah I want to just touch on um, the actress Tika Sumter and like what y'all are saying about her doing impression. I agree with you. I feel like her performance was a lot more strained compared to his, but I also kind of feel for her because I feel like as personality types, like when it's just conversational, Barack Obama has more of a chill, laid-back way of speaking. (laughs) And I think Michelle Obama definitely has a much more formal... Stiff isn't the right word, but, like, she definitely packs more of a punch with, like, her words, like, just just verbally. Um, And so I feel like they are trying to set up that dynamic, and she was trying to embody that difference. And that, unfortunately comes across as, you know, stiff and performative in a way that his was much more, like, inhabited. Um, and so I, I, I feel for her, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I agree oh, with yeah. you, but yeah. I feel for, I think Michelle Obama is a much harder role to play than Barack Obama is. Um, and so yeah. I, I think she had a, a bigger task to tackle. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's hard about this movie and that kept this movie from being, like, you know, an undeniable success. I really liked it, but I would totally get it if people didn't like it. Um, But there's this element of, like, you 
what we know of this family is what they have allowed us to see publicly. And right. that has really colored our impression of it. And so it's, it's going to feel um, off. It's not going to feel like it matches up if the portrayals that they put forward don't in some way at least point to or mirror what we feel like we know of the Obamas right now. But most of what we've seen of them has been either like press photos or like, you know, convention speeches or all these, we don't, you can't know the inner workings of the first couple relationship and you can't know what those kinds of people are like on a date. And so either you're, you know, completely abandoning that type of a thing um, and just like showing two people and their names happen to be Michelle and Barack or you lean into and try to like borrow from some of the gravitas of these public impressions that we already have. And I think that that makes it a harder movie to pull off than like, you know, Before Sunrise or something like that because those are two brand new characters who you get to know on the screen in front of you whereas this has to strike the right balance between what people are already holding in their heads and what they're not. And that's that's kind of why I think this, this movie is a bad idea in the first place to make because you don't... Because, like, if in a slow date movie, like, that's what I want. I want those conversations to help me get to know those characters. And I don't, I don't want to come in with preconceived notions of who I think these people are because um, it, it kind of ruins the movie for me. It makes it much more difficult to, <laughs> to engage because I have all of this baggage that I'm, that I'm coming in with. Um, and so, like, yeah, like I said, like if, if, if he had decided to make this movie and, like, exact same script, well, you can't do exact same script. Actually, you could do exact same script. Exact same script, but just have these characters not be Barack and Michelle Obama. I feel like it would have been a better movie because you are you're learning about these characters. You have no idea where they're going to go from here. Um, and I feel like in, in this movie, everything they say is a callback because you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to be president one day. How funny, <laughs> so, though. I, I'm just now picturing a movie where he uses this exact same script but changes the names. And then all of a sudden you're watching yeah. it and it's like, wait a minute. Barack Obama also <laughs> is from Hawaii and has those parents and went to Indonesia. Like, if you're yeah. just, like, watching this movie and all of a sudden you start to realize that, like, all of these things are the exact same traits of the Obamas. Yeah. I feel like if this if this movie came out in 2008 or, like, an election year or something, that would have oh, been yeah. how it had to happen. Like, I forget who I was talking yeah. with about this, but it was like, if this... This is the only time this movie could have come... This is the earliest, I guess, this movie could have come out. Yeah. Because if this comes out before that, it'll seem like propaganda or something. Because, of course, it right. plays these people in very positive lights. And I happen to, you know, agree with some of the positive lights that they're going with. So I probably wouldn't be bothered by it. But I totally see people being like, that's a little bit more, you know... They are sitting government officials. Um, that, you know, that is one of the things I think that is a flaw in this movie. Is that because... I think obviously the director and writer and cast are fans of the Obamas and because they are like sitting government officials, um, like the movie can't really put in a ton of conflict with this couple. Like you can't have Barack like say something really insulting to Michelle because like everyone be upset. Like don't put words in his mouth. Like, (laughs) <laughs> he would never say that to her or what, or whatever the case. You can't um, really play with those characters because they're so beloved, you know? And yeah. Uh, and by the filmmakers, especially. It's, exactly. Whereas if this had been maybe 20 or 30 years later, someone was making this movie, you might have had a little bit more wiggle room to give the characters in this movie um, more room to be flawed and you know, maybe mess up a little bit more on the first date or give it a little bit more interest in that regard. I can't help but think of the stark contrast between the movie that came out about this president towards the end of their two-term presidency and the movie that came out about the last president before the end of his two-term presidency. Um, Did you guys ever see W by Oliver Stone? I didn't, but I think that's hard to compare because one is about a presidency (laughs) and the other is about a first date oh sure yeah like it's they're not analogous movie genres at all but 
one was directed by somebody who did not have a favorable impression of the president, and this one definitely was. And in that respect, I mean, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't even draw the, the parallel because they're so different. But I felt like W was, as a movie on its own, like if you didn't know any history or anything, like a pretty interesting movie where they made the character of George, but like they fleshed him out over the screen. You could understand his motivations. You were going through everything. Like it was, you know, not a movie I've gone back and watched again, but when I watched it, I was like, that was a pretty well-made movie. Um, And felt like it had some of the, its own legs outside of, uh, anyway, just if you, if you don't have a rosy impression of a president or you're not like in that spot that you're talking about, Sandra, I think you're right. I think you have more room to, add conflict and resolve it in a way that could be more of like higher lower lows but higher highs kind of satisfying right for me another big big issue i think with this movie is and this just might be a personal opinion that i or a preconceived notion that i had going into this was this movie's called Southside with you and i thought it was going to give a deeper look at Southside chicago Mm. I thought basically, I thought Chicago was basically going to be a character in this movie and have a huge, um, way more screen time and a lot bigger impact um, on the characters in this film. Uh, and that did not happen. It like you can tell this guy has never lived in Chicago. <laughs> um, yeah, just I mean, like he, there's no love for the city in this in the direction of this movie at all. It's and written get, into the script, but exactly, it's just it's there because that's where they are. Um, and there's no actual, like they, it doesn't feel like they have the connection to the city that they should. Um, they go to a lot of places in Chicago, but you don't get these wide loving shots of those places that I feel like should be included, um, in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, Now that you say that, I'm thinking about how like Brock was there for the summer and he had been there a little bit, but like Michelle grew up there her whole life and like everywhere he went, he knew somebody and he was saying hi, but she was never like, oh, this is the shop that I have gone to my whole life or whatever. I don't know. I mean, um, he was taking not her that that on the date, the not like True. the other way around. True. Um, yeah, I, I see what you mean there, Lucas. I feel like there were attempts at that, but it wasn't mm-hmm. infused throughout the whole movie. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, obviously a lot of people are comparing this to before sunrise and one thing that that movie has over this one is that the, the two characters are walking the whole time in that movie. And so you just get scenes of them walking like throughout these beautiful streets. And so during the conversation, you get to admire, you also get to admire the place that they're in. Whereas with, this movie, whenever they were traveling from one destination to another, they were in a car. Um, so they would go to a place and have a conversation and then get in a car mm-hmm. and go to another place and have a conversation in the car. And then they would go to another, you know, so you didn't get those like in between yeah. travel times where um, there was dialogue happening, but also scenery surrounding them. That's a good point. Yeah. I think, I think the, the two places that kind of, pop out to me where that happened was in the in the museum where they're just kind of walking and talking throughout the museum. It, we, we just get some shots of the art and we get really tight shots on them um, without kind of giving giving a view of that museum, um, mm-hmm. which is a massive famous museum. And I feel like any, like if this were New York and that was the Met, you would have gotten a wide shot of the Met. Sure, <laughs> sure, they, yeah. Like, came in or something like that. Um, and that, that didn't happen. Um, that didn't happen in Chicago. And the same thing in the park as they're walking and talking through the park. It's just a medium shot on them the entire time. Mm-hmm. You never get context for, you know, what kind of park is this? Where in the park are they? And just like, I feel like you'd have a lot more, you could be a lot more visually creative mm-hmm. um, with a lot of these walking and talking scenes. But you're right. Most of this is we're in a spot, we're going to talk, and then we're going to go somewhere else in a car and then talk there. So right. you're right. Yeah. Hmm. Like, I I honestly just Googled, was Southside with you filmed in Chicago? Because, like, I'm thinking <laughs> about this, and you're right. There are very few, if any, like, wide shots. I mean, of, it was, um, right? It was, yeah. 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 And that, and that makes but sense. They, but, like, and they, I was thinking it would make... establishing shots, like, at the beginning of the movie and at the end. And 
there are some specific scenes that obviously are, you know, iconic Chicago. But overall, I wanted more of this. <laughs> I wanted more Chicago um, and more, I guess, depth of character to the city. Sure, yeah. So there's one last thing that I want to bring up, but I'm trying to figure out how... <laughs> This is a kind of a hard movie to determine whether something's a spoiler or not, you know, Um, because it's all about being there. Like, there's not like a lot of like plot points that you're going to spoil, you know? Yeah, Um, I I would agree with that. But I do. I really want to talk about the ending. So I guess I'm just rather than us having a whole spoiler section, I think I'm just going to preface this by saying I'm going to talk about the very last few shots of the movie. So if. If you if you think that will spoil it for you, like maybe skip ahead or or stop listening to the podcast right now. But that was, I think, the my favorite part of the movie. Uh, the way it ended really left me in just like this beautiful place. Um, one thing I think this movie got really right was rather than ending on their first kiss, but. They, instead, they chose to end with each of them at home by themselves, just like soaking up that feeling of what a good first date feels like. Yes. And I feel like that's so smart because a first date doesn't end with a kiss. It ends with that feeling. Like that's what is so promising about a good first date is the way you feel when you get home. It's when you think you can just kind of like feel it in your skin that this might actually turn into something. And seeing the two of those characters just like sit in their living rooms by themselves and just soaking that up for a moment, I thought was really beautiful and left me in such a great mood. I completely agree. That's true. Yeah. Um, and then and then to have that John Legend song like immediately after, I thought was really great. And those credits were so beautiful, y'all. Yeah. Um, I love really? them. Yeah, because they went oh, back man. to using the, the artwork, and it was, yeah, it was Did you not say for the credits, Lucas? I had to go to the bathroom. Oh, okay. I had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. So bad. Sure. <laughs> the credits um, would just have, like, uh, different pieces of artwork from that painter that we saw in the museum. Oh, and nice. it was just, it would just be like one of his pieces while credits scrolled. And then they would flip sides and have like a new piece on the left and credit scrolling on the right. And then a new piece on the right and credit scrolling on the left. And they were just gorgeous. And just to sit with that artwork and that John Legend song was really, it really like, they, that is such a great piece of work to like, it made me feel like that movie was amazing, you know, <laughs> like the way that, yeah. that that credit left you. No, I totally agree. I mean, I think they did a great job of, actually, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie, and that probably just says more about, you know, my film knowledge than it does about this movie being breaking new ground, but I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that has shown, has communicated that feeling after an amazing first date where you're just, you know, sitting and you're like, okay, I'll just pick up this book to read. Like, I can't, I can't even, I have, I'm thinking on this, I'm feeling this so intensely. And it's just, you know, rippling through every square inch of me, like this feeling after a first date, um, is just communicated so well visually in those final scenes. And I, I, I couldn't agree more, Sandra. I think it's the perfect way to end it. I think there have been other movies that have done that, but I can't think of a romance movie that has ended the movie with that feeling. And I think that that is such a, like, I think that's the true brilliance of this film is that, that the, that's where the story ends. And of course begins is that like, this is the beginning of a relationship, but this is the end of the first date. And I feel like so often movies will either end with the kiss or, um, or like they'll have, they'll illustrate that end of first date feeling, but it happens in the middle of the movie, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. the first date isn't the entire movie. And so that's another thing I want to say I really appreciated about this movie was its scope. Like the fact I want more movies that are just a first date. Like we're uh, talking about. Me too. After yeah. watching this one, I want every famous couple to get their own first date movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would love completely fictionalized characters. I would love historical fiction. I'm just whatever. I think it's so fascinating and 
I think that we do, there are so many like fictionalized versions that are so much more romanticized. And one of the cool things about this movie was for all of its shortcomings, it felt like a real first date, like as unremarkable as a real first date, just like some of it's boring and some of it was maybe ill-advised and some of it was like kind of slow and there's time in a car and your you know your car isn't clean but or like they're it, trying too hard in, in certain things right but it felt like real people and you know whether or not you're using real people out of history or not i think right. that kind of a story uh needs to be shown more on screen and i think if they're doing it with people who aren't <laughs> the sitting first couple they'll have a little bit more license to you know uh, explore that story in ways that might be even more interesting than this one. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? Can I say two more things? Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, two more things. Two more things that I felt were completely weird in this movie. Um, I feel like because it was a PG thirteen movie, they were they were like allowed to have one F word, and I feel like he just kind of put it in there just like because like I I speak to their dude, so I guess I can put it in there. It felt like a really weird like placement for it. Um, it was oh, when was it? It was, it was after, after the they, movie. They saw do the right thing, and their boss yeah, was the, unhappy about the ending. Right, 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 and it was just like it's just a weird thing to say because he what, what did he say? It was like he was he was he, mad or something like that. Yeah, he was like he didn't like, do that to save the guy's life. He did it because he was fucking angry. Yeah, and, and like, to me, like, that that felt like just, I just, I just, I need an F word in this movie because, because it's PG-13. And, it, and, like, I, I feel like in a situation like that, like, you throw in an F word if the character is, you know, extremely mad or, you know, some, some kind of emotion tied to it. Um, because it, because it is something that's not in the rest of the movie, it has to be kind of, it has to elevate it. It has to be elevated to some level. And I feel like this was just kind of like, yeah, we're just going to throw it in here. It's whatever. So I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you, Lucas. I'm going to say that I was very charmed by that. Um, yeah. Because I guess for, I guess my interpretation of it is that throughout most of the date, they were kind of being very formal with each other. And it wasn't until the movie that they started to get very comfortable with each other. Like she grabbed his hand for the first time. And, and I kind of like the idea of after that movie, they're starting to like ease up and not be so formal and him feeling like I can curse in front of her now. Like I'm going to be funny. <laughs> I can like, I can curse. I always in interviews with the Barack Obama, I always get the sense that he is so much funnier and dirtier than he's ever allowed to be. <laughs> and so I liked that. I liked that playful moment where he could like, like say fuck and like, it's not, and like be playful about it. Um, yeah, that was that was to do. Yeah, that was that's how I felt about it. I hear what you're saying, Lucas. Um, not to make too many call outs to the Keeping It 1600 podcast, but they swear a lot on that, and they like both have worked really closely with Obama. And based on mm-hmm. that, it makes me think like, oh yeah, Obama swears all the time. Like he doesn't yeah. from the pulpit because or from the bully pulpit because he's the president. But like that's that's a big part of like he has no problem with that. Um, but I definitely see what you're saying as far as like, okay, you want to encapsulate the fact that Obama, you know, smokes cigarettes in every three scenes and has smoked pot before. <laughs> and like, let me, you let know, me just say, say that word. when he lit the first cigarette, that got a big laugh in my theater. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh yeah, we know that Obama used to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Remember this guys. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, but yeah, I think that that was kind of a, I, I definitely, I hear both of side cause I hear what you're saying, Sandra. I think that's a, a great interpretation, but I also feel a little bit like you wanted to be able to paint this portrait of this guy, but you didn't have enough F words to actually show how casual he was with this. And so it felt a little <laughs> out of place. I guess the other, the other thing that I want to talk about is just the race conversations that happen. Um, throughout the movie. I mean, this is a movie written and directed by a white guy. Yeah, um, I was really surprised when I found that out after seeing it. Mm. I mean, kind of surprised not. and not. Okay, <laughs> I will say surprised that, like, he thought he should write this movie is what I right, is what I exactly. mean yes. by that. Yeah, I feel like overall, uh, man, anytime, anytime race got brought up, 
in the conversation, it felt like tiptoeing. It, it, it felt felt like everyone was just kind of tiptoeing around certain areas and stuff like that. And it was a very kind of, I guess, procedural conversation that felt very much like a script, um, which I wasn't, wasn't a big fan of. Yeah, I would agree with you on that, Lucas. Um, totally. Like during it, I didn't know what to make of like some of those conversations because... I felt like, I was like, oh, you know, it's not my place to determine, like, whether this is, like, an authentic conversation or not, you know? Um, right. And and then after finding out, like, that the writer and director is a white guy, I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense why that felt so <laughs> strange. Like, <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I'm glad you brought that up. And then especially with just, I mean, the the whole scene with uh, with her boss at the end. That felt something like straight out of, I don't know, God's Not Dead or like one of those. <laughs> remember the Titans? Yeah. Or not Remember the Titans, the, little, the Facing the Giants. Yeah. Like facing the Giants, like, yeah. Christian. Pure flicks. Weird movies that, yeah. Those, yeah, like that whole conversation just seemed like the only reason it's here is so we can have Obama talk to somebody about race and their different opinions. And like, it was just really, really weird there. But. Yeah, if anyone ever, after one sentence, replies, you know, I never thought about it that way. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a little too convenient. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I just, yeah, go for it. I, I think that this movie tried to do a lot of things. And mm-hmm. obviously, as someone who loves romance movies, I think I would have loved if we could have just had a movie about just, like, the romantic yeah. aspect but I also think yeah. that it's unfair to ask that you make a movie about the Obamas and only focus on the romance. So I I think, I, I guess I feel for a lot of the things that this movie needed to do and then also had a hard time doing. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I come back to my original point. This movie should not have been about <laughs> the Obamas. <laughs> if I think... you wanted to make this type of movie, you should start, especially as your first movie ever, like, start, start small. Just... Yeah. But... Yeah, but, again, but that it, movie wouldn't have gotten, gotten made. Kind of, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lucas, I totally hear what you're saying. Like, if you wanted yeah. to make this movie, you had to do kind of a lot of things right, and yeah. it's understandable that you didn't, but you should have known that going in. Right. So, and there's like a, a movie like this with a budget of like a million. Was it one point five million dollars? Like, this is not something you're going to see a lot. And the fact that it is the Obamas is the only reason that it is in theaters and that it's getting such a wide release. Um, and so we, we kind of have to celebrate that, that we're getting a walk-and-talk movie for so cheap. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I, I am really excited that, that that's being allowed to happen, but I wish they'd allow a lot more original stories to be able to, to flourish in that kind of environment. Yeah. Totally. And this may be a, uh, you know white writer and director of Southside for You moment, so I'll cop to that right away. But I feel like there should be more um, walk and talk movies with people of color as well. Like whenever we walked into this theater, um, Lindsay and I were the only people there that weren't people of color. And it just made me think like, you know, of course this is a great uh, movie and like of interest to a lot of bunch of different people. But whenever I listened to um, uh, Code Switch, several of the people on there were talking about how there just aren't very many movies like this. Uh, and I think it's really cool that we're getting a movie like this based on the Obamas. But my hope is that um, this movie will, because of its wide circulation and because of its subject matter, will make enough money to where studio executives whose um, use of what qualifies as logic is questionable will be like, oh, okay, that kind of a movie can work and that more will get made. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you said what you said about your theater because my theater was mostly older white people. That's interesting. so interesting, Lucas. I went on a Friday night Labor Day weekend, so give that context. Mm-hmm. But I not only was I the only white person in my theater, but I was also the only single person and the only person under fifty. It was all <laughs> I, it was me and four other like older black couples. <laughs> it was just like date night and I was like yeah. the one single lady in the in the theater. <laughs> it might be that I went on a Thursday like Thursday like four thirty showing or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was all all older white people. <laughs> uh, okay, so I feel like we have said all our piece about Southside with you. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, you can find us online at Feeling It Pod on Twitter. We also have a Facebook group, or not group, Facebook page, um, at Feeling It Pod. Let's say where you can find each of us online. Lucas, why don't you start us off? You can find me on Twitter, and right now I'm Instagramming my trip to L.A. Um, Fun. Lucas and stuff. Yeah. Lotta? My, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or Letterboxd. Those are the things that I uh, update uh, at Lawson West. And I'm Sandra Omstutz. All of my social media handles are at Sandra Omstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And I'm really active on Twitter. So go hang out with me over there. And um, if you saw Southside with you, we'd love to hear what you thought about it. Or if you just went and saw a movie on a date and it was like, this is a great movie to see on a date, let us know what it is. I'm always, I always need to know what those are. So... Yeah, <laughs> give spread us the knowledge. Yeah, give us some <laughs> tips or give yeah. me some tips. I'm the one that's dating in this podcast. So, uh, we still hey, go on dates. Too. That's Come true. On. Y'all go on dates. We're just not going on not first. Not high of stakes, but you know, you go on dates. Yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, y'all. Have a good day. Adios. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.